Bonjour, film lovers. Did you know that you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher Radio? We also have a website, realnerdspodcast.com, where you can find cool articles and other ways to listen to the podcast. You can also follow us on social, Facebook at Real Nerds Podcast, and Twitter and Instagram at Real Nerds. You can also call us at 720-6-NERDS-5. We will listen to it, we will play it, and we will probably commentate on it. Also, email us at realnerds at gmail.com. Anyway, enjoy the episode. is Real Nerds Podcast, a proud supporter of popcultureclassroom.org, which you can log in to, onto and help support their cause since we have had back-to-back years with no Denver Pop Culture Con. I am Ryan. With me is Zach. Hello. When I say your name, you talk. Okay. Brad. What's up? Corinne. Greetings. And we have a special guest. Jerry, the artist. What's up, buddy? <laughs> Thank you. Greetings, gentlemen. Woo! How's, how's, how's it going? Uh, it's, uh, it's going well. Just busy, closing down the year and uh, trying to finish strong. Um, and uh, yeah, that's, that's, those are the bullet points. There's a lot. <laughs> you know what? I don't want to. Jerry, I'm, gonna not, I'm not going to lie. Those are great bullet points. I love closing the year down strong. I like that. <laughs> Every week on Real Nerds Podcast, we see a new movie or stream a new movie. This week, our movie of the week is Wonder Woman 1984. Stay tuned to the end of the episode where we will tell you if you see the film, play the trailer, and then we will spoil the film for you. Um, We also talk about movies we've watched throughout the week, movies that are coming out on Blu-ray, movie news, which not a lot's going on. This is Christmas week. And I hope everybody had a great holiday and got everything they wanted. And yeah, that's what we do here on Real Nerds. I didn't get what I wanted. Jack Benny didn't come back to life. (laughs) Well, maybe if you wished it, he would have. I didn't wish hard (laughs) enough, Ryan. I'll do it next year, I swear. Be careful, Zach. Monkey's paw. Oh, oh, yeah. (laughs) I'm going to run into you and I'm going to say, renounce your wish. (laughs) Renounce it. I'll just go. Now cut that out. <laughs> um, oh, God. We'll talk about it. We'll talk about it. <laughs> so, Jerry, I know that you're, you're an artist that had a table at Denver Pop Culture Con planned. Um, is there a way we can support your art without going to Denver Pop Culture Con? Uh, yeah. So, uh, in about not... There is a way, yes, but uh, I'm still working on a I'm fine-tuning a website, which you guys will have access to in about two weeks or so, and that would be the best way to support me. Um, another one would be on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, I have a web, I have a art, art page called The Art of Jerry M, uh, which, which is on Facebook. And uh, I also have a YouTube channel, which is... Uh, you you have to spell it A R T O G M, which is the art of Jerry M, just compressed. So, 
Facebook and YouTube are the best place to support my art. And in two weeks, you'll have a website where you can go and uh, I guess you could say fulfill your artist's dreams come true by buying a lot of things that I've put up there. <laughs> Love it. Yeah, and I have to say, too, uh, your Facebook page is cool because sometimes there's some artists I'm like, oh, I'll support this person because we know them. But you're really talented, so um, keep up the good work. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Uh, it means a lot. Appreciate it. That, that, that's not fake praise is what I'm saying. <laughs> Jerry, Jerry's also a really cool film company because we got to see uh, Charade with him last year. That's right. Amazing. It was, it was one of the coolest nights ever. V virtually everybody in the group was there except for James. Um, that, that's a name I've not heard in a long time. I'm, yeah. I'm here. I'm James. <laughs> I don't know where you're talking to me like I'm not here. Wow. James, how's Leona? <laughs> you know, I haven't seen her in a while. And I don't think this is my house, actually. <laughs> I might want to go check up on that. So, um, Jerry... I, I have a question in regards to the art. Um, yeah. When you when you've been um, since the uh, Comic Con um, was unfortunately postponed and whatnot, have you tried to figure out backup plans and whatnot, or are you kind of just still waiting to see what things shake out as? Uh, well, you know the Comic Con thing. Um, well, uh, it's kind of been a blessing in, in a weird way for me. It's um, it's forced me to actually. Uh, to explore other venues, other ways to getting my name out there and my art out there. Mm. So it's, been, it's forced me to go into LinkedIn, into Twitter, and to start cultivating more of a presence on those platforms. Okay. Twitter, I'm still trying to figure that out because, you know, it's not that I, I'm not even going to say like I'm old and this technology is beyond me. It's just, it's riddled with insanity that I don't <laughs> have the patience to entertain. Welcome, welcome, um, but, to, welcome to my mind. <laughs> it's not a great visual platform, Twitter. Yeah, it's and that's the biggest thing. It's not a visual platform, and I clash against that. So, on the one side, it's an it's been an opportunity to figure out how to move forward with that. Mm -hmm. The other one has been, you know, when you do this for so long, you kind of lose perspective on why you do it, and whether or not those goals are still what you're going for. Mm -hmm. So taking this break and not feeling the pre pressure of Denver uh, Comic Con and Pop Culture Con, um, it's been refreshing. It's given me time to just go, what do I actually, you know, I remember all the stuff I wanted to draw, but now I can actually take a breath and realize, okay, maybe there are things I want to experiment. Okay, wonderful. That's a, that's a great time to experiment around this time of the, with, with everything going on. It's been a great time to really stretch your wings and figure all those things out. Yeah. And Jerry, what do you like to draw the most? What is, what is your passion? Uh, well, there are three categories. So um, first one is um, faith is big, is real important to me. So um, I've always been inspired by the great masters uh, through my mother to just do religious artwork, not because I have a degree in theology and I can say, this is what you should believe in <laughs> more because um I don't know. It always, when I was a kid, it always made me uh, think beyond myself, try to give something to other people and just tell people about, share my faith with other people, but not, again, I don't have a theology degree or any of that stuff. <laughs> I'm not interested in doing that. I just want to say this is a part of me. I like to share with you, and that's where that is. Mm -hmm. um, comic books are a big part of it. You know, comic books and manga, I love drawing a lot of that. Um, 
comics, DC, Marvel, you know, uh, Tintin, just everything in between. I love that. And the last is, uh, you know, my own fantasy stuff. Uh, my fantasies are usually, okay, I should really care for what that line because I, <laughs> <laughs> um, I could be taken really bad. Ryan, uh, put your muzzle on. Oh, <laughs> uh, what so There I was, tied up to her bed, motor oil smeared all over my body. Wow. She came in with a set of jumper cables. <laughs> That's like uh, 1994 Jeff Fox for the IP. What I like to draw in the realm of fantasy um, is, uh, yeah, just things all over there. Uh, just try to be creative. So, yeah, that's that, those, are, uh, those are the three pillars of my artwork. Very nice. Very cool. And is there an artist that you look to that is your inspiration to becoming an artist? Um, there were a couple. Uh, the first one was um, uh, when I first came to the States and uh, when I was going through school, I could barely speak English. English was just not, it was just a pain. I, and uh, my teachers came up with a plan, which is every week when I would do good in school, they would give me a page of a comic book. That comic book was Peter Parker, Spider-Man number 88, drawn by Joe, uh, John Romita Jr., um, so he was my first artist that I really went, okay, this is, I really love this. And then you had a couple other, Michael Turner, who since passed away in 2008, um, Stanley, just because, you know, it's Stanley, mm -hmm. uh, Jim Lee, uh, Ivan Rice, Tyler Kirkman, uh, Jason Fabic. So there, there's a lot, but, um, the, the great masters, so Botticelli, Raphael, you know, the Ninja Turtles, um, <laughs> and uh, Titian. Um, I mean, I could go on, but there's just, yeah, I grab from everywhere. So now the follow-up question is, where are you from, Jerry? I, I didn't even know you were, you came to America. Uh, yeah, so uh, I'm from the DRC, Democratic Republic of the Congo. It oh. is in uh, Central Africa. Um, it's a country that is three-fourths the size of the U.S. Um, in the heart of Africa. I was born in the capital city of Kinshasa. And uh, when I came here, I was, I don't know, I was like 10 and a half or so. And um, English was not my first language. It was uh, French is my first language. Uh, English is second. Um, yeah. And how is your French now? Well, it's, it's really good. Uh, I talk... Uh, I use it with my parents all the time. We've always decided at home, you know, you can, since I, I can speak French with my parents, my brother a little bit, and my siblings, it's kind of Franco-English, which is they speak a couple words in French and mix it with English. So it's, <laughs> nice. Yeah. I took French for eight years in middle school yeah. uh, and high school and then in college. Yeah. Um, uh, I remember most of it. I went to Paris, uh, man, 10 years ago, and that was a crash course to get really back into it. <laughs> but it's kind of cool when you remember, you know, words as they come back. And that's mm -hmm. awesome, man. Well, great success story coming to America then. Yep. We love it. Thank you. Thank you for having me again. <laughs> yeah, you got it. Um, so we're going to kick off the show with the segment I call Going Around Town with Brad. Wait, we can't. Nothing's going on around town. 
you can go you can go see the zoo lights at the denver zoo it's beautiful it's uh, make zoo. sure you reserve your time because it's sold out until the first of the year uh, oh wait really oh wow yeah yikes well they only let a certain amount of people in and i was reading too the denver zoo needs help feeding their animals because they only allow a certain amount of people in right now so if you can that's another place to donate to is the denverzoo.org to feed the the lions tigers and bears and Feed them chimpanzees. Or, or I apply for a job feeding animals. My dream, the thing that I was born to do. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, Zach, just walk into the tiger pen with this bacon on you. You're good. Okay, why not? Sure. <laughs> Tigers are fed. Help me, please, God. Uh, or Zach becomes Tiger King 2.0. <laughs> Guess what, motherfuckers? <laughs> oh, my God. Why did you have to remind me that was a thing this year? Jesus. That Ryan Frost is a stone cold bitch. I <laughs> hey, Ryan, uh, Ryan's wearing a flower hat. Hey, all you cool cats and kittens. Zach sucks. <laughs> uh, Bandamere also has their own like drive through lights thing. So That's right. Mm, yeah. If you can't get to Spread the, the holiday cheer. The holiday cheer. Or frequent the new ice rink in Idaho Springs oh, on Digger right. Field. Glice. It's like synthetic ice, so it's um it's really interesting. I was uh, I haven't ice skated on yet, but I was out there on patrol a couple days ago and lots of kids were having fun. So Yeah. It's gonna be out there till April at least. They might even keep it longer. I, yeah, I need to see fun. you uh, chase down a perp on the ice. It's not that big. He could yeah, just run around that, that pretty run easily. The oval. <laughs> and be like, you get back here. If I if I, I go there, Ryan, will they boom through the uh, music system Christmas time is here so I can pretend I'm a peanut character for five seconds? Uh, sure. Cool, that'd be <laughs> awesome. I, wa- I want to recreate <laughs> the opening of a Charlie Brown Christmas. You can always do that in your mind, Zach. No, but it's not the same, Ryan. It's not the same. I found a dog who's really cool. He writes, and he can also fight in a biplane. I just need to get him up to Idaho Springs. You know, I always wonder if people get sick of me sharing the peanut strips constantly. And am I the only no, because, one who's uh, amused by them? <laughs> no, I, I, I've fallen off doing it, but I still love doing it. Um, yeah. it, it it's, I mean, and if they get annoyed, Ryan... You know what? You could just pretend that they're actually saying wah, 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 and it doesn't register to you, you know? You know, like, it, re- it wouldn't matter anyways. Cause I don't care. <laughs> I have yet to meet a person who doesn't like peanuts. I'm pretty sure it's just universally loved. If they do, if, if somebody out there hates the peanuts, then they have no soul. And I, 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 I don't know what else to say to them at this point. Also, they have no peanuts. Oh, snap! <laughs> I don't know what that was supposed to mean, but okay. <laughs> that was a Zach joke right there. That was. We I don't have dad of, jokes. We have, we have Zach jokes. I just <laughs> imagine the Seinfeld theme playing as Corinne said that, and then she's just in front of a brick wall wearing a suit. <laughs> What's the deal with airline food? You know, you joke about that, Zach, but I did re-listen to Jerry Seinfeld, I'm telling you, for the last time yesterday. A, we listened a, to it all the time when I was a kid. That's a great album. That album is wonderful. So good. I have, like, his whole bit about the bobsled run and the luge memorized. <laughs> this is on the bobsled run, but it's not even a sled. It's just Bob. It's just a human being hanging on for dear life. This is the whole sport, people. Oh God, I need to, I need to, I need to dig some Seinfeld back into my life. That's that's overdue. 
Anywho. But that's what's going on around town? Yep, nothing movie related. Yep. Drive-ins closed, theaters closed, bugs closed. Everything's closed. I closed. You can come up to Idaho Springs, though. We have 25% dine-in. So, you know, you can go to Bojo's and wait an hour to eat a pizza because they're always busy. Or just, just take out. Or you, or you can take it out. <laughs> you guys just tempted Brad. I could see the look on his face. <laughs> Actually, we have a, I discovered a pizza place near me and uh, pretty Jones and for their tomorrow. Tomorrow, I think we can get one for lunch. Is it is it uh, wrong of me that I live in Idaho Springs and I don't think Bojo's is the best pizza here? No, because you've been overexposed to Bojo's your entire life, like the rest of us who've lived in the state. Yeah, they're not Let's... exclusive to Idaho Springs. Like, there's, there there was one in uh, on Colorado Boulevard for a long time. Yeah, I think Arvada has one. It, they What's do. The it's on better one than Ryan Piggy's. No, um, I won't say why I don't go to uh, Piggy's because um, I'm a professional and. I don't want to get people in trouble from what I do for a living. Um, but the the best pizza in Idaho Springs, if you go to Come and Go on Friday, it's buy one, get one free. <laughs> the Come and Go pizza. <laughs> you think I'm joking, but they actually make uh, their pizzas from scratch. And uh, they're not that bad. I've had their pizza and it's okay. I know. I said it's not that bad. Yeah. It's, and, it's, and it's not $37 it's not- for a pizza like Bojo's, so. Yeah, but Bojo's Pizza is actually good. It's not as good as you're paying for it, but it's better than Come and Go Pizza. Um, I remember Bojo's being mostly crust. Yeah, you can get it where the crust is pretty thick. Yeah, so there's that's Prairie is thin, and then I think Mm -hmm. it's the Mountain Pie is what they call the one with the eighteen pounds of crust on it. This is is the part of the show where we review Bojo's. Ryan, should people go to Bojo's? Pickaxe has a good white sauce, so (laughs) I could uh, do like uh, Leonard and Community and have my own YouTube pizza (laughs) tasting channel. (laughs) Any Community fans here? I I forgot I saw that I watched that show this year. Ryan (laughs) likes this. Ryan likes this post. We lost you yet, Jerry. Do you want to get off this call? <laughs> All right. I'm still here. I'm, uh, community lost me. Seinfeld had me. Yeah, there we go. Perfect. Wait, Jerry, you've never seen Community? Not all of it. I would say I've only seen um, three episodes. Okay. Yeah, just watch seasons one through three. Don't bother with the rest. Yep, yeah, agreed. <laughs> Except or for a watch- couple of episodes, and I'll have to point them out to you. Okay. Or watch the rest and don't listen to Corinne because she's always a hater. <laughs> I'm not a hater. Everybody agrees that the fifth and sixth seasons, at least, are not great. They're still fun. Eh. I mean, you refuse to see, you know, Toy Story Four, so I don't trust. Your oh opinion. my gosh, are we um, ever going to let this go? Uh, nope. I- no, why does there need to be a Toy Story 4? Like, it doesn't... Amen! Thank you, Jerry. <laughs> this is why we're friends. <laughs> like, I mean, why does there need to be anything? Yeah. Well, okay, first of all, Toy Story 3, we like, I don't know, like Schindler's toy box scene, like, which was just like, on... I, I cried so much in that one. I'm like, okay, it's over. Toy Story 4 and... 
I just heard Tim Allen and Tom Hanks are crying. I'm like, I'm not doing this. It doesn't need to exist. Let's just stop. Yeah. yeah. Jerry, you should do yourself a favor and see Toy Story 4. It's brilliant. You know what? I'll just... That's what I promise. Yeah. I won't leave you astray. Here, here's what you do, Jerry. You watch it, and then we all encapsulate Corinne and go, join us, join us. Like, it, it, it's, a, it's much better than I thought it would be. But does it need to exist? Yes. Yeah. I mean, it has something to say about being beyond middle age. It completes Woody's journey. It, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a rather large question. Like, do any of us need to exist? Technically... Life yes. doesn't end in your prime. <laughs> yeah, we got a movie that addresses that. It's called wait, wait, Soul. Wait, wait, wait. You're saying that it doesn't end in high school, Brad? <laughs> <laughs> Believe it or not, it's true. That's so deep, man. You need to start a CW series. <laughs> My favorite is when I'm on Facebook and it says, you know, friend suggestions. And mm -hmm. it's people from high school and they're still the same. And they're not cool anymore because <laughs> it's not cool to be an asshole. <laughs> uh, Anyways, um, there that's is what's going on around town. Few <laughs> movie news stuff going on. Um, let's check out movie news. It's real news. All righty. Um, I guess there's going to be a Ready Player Two. Um, the the book has already been released, and so now uh, there's already talks for a movie adaptation. Um, it says it's early stages right now, especially since Hollywood is in limbo. Um, and Ernest Klein said, "But I can tell you from the experience of making the first movie that everybody had a lot of fun. So we're going to get a Ready Player Two. I didn't know that there was a Ready Player Two until literally this year." So I don't know what what happens after the. It seems like everything was pretty wrapped up in a bow. They got rid of Ben Mendelsohn, and he got the company, no. and he instituted rules, and Mark Rylance's character was redeemed virtually in that wonderful scene. No. I don't know. I, I don't know. Anybody? Do you have any thoughts on this? I didn't know it existed until just the second when you okay. said that. So <laughs> cool. That the book only came out like a month ago. So yeah. Okay. Yeah. I didn't even see the movie. I'm curious, would it be like the same cast and creators? Would Steven Spielberg come back to direct it and everything? I highly doubt it. He usually doesn't do sequels, so I think uh, Lost World is the only sequel mm, he's he ever done. He did Indiana Jones. Uh, yeah, and he stopped. <laughs> Isn't he, is he directing the fifth one? Nope. No, James Mangold. Yep. Supposedly. He finally oh, said, happening. He, he finally said, I can't, I can't keep up with what all these fucking nerds want. I'm done. <laughs> That's the weird just... thing about the Disney conferences. They said like, we're announcing that James Mangold's doing the Indiana Jones thing. I'm like, you said that like a year ago. Like, <laughs> But we're doing it again. <laughs> it's an investor conference. They got to get people amped up. People who probably don't read film Twitter. Also, um, to be fair, I mean, I think everybody forgot everything that's happened before this year, so. Oh, yeah. I forgot about Tiger King. And then everybody had to bring that fucking thing back in my life. <sighs> um, anyway, um, we'll move on from Ready Player One, um, which is a um, Warner Brothers movie, uh, to the Warner Brothers studio itself, um, where it seems like everything's still on fire. 
Um, although um, uh, it would appear that they are setting some dates for uh, some of their upcoming slate, including the Furiosa prequel, uh, as well as a live-action animated hybrid movie called Coyote vs. Acme. Um, I'm glad it's versus and not V. Um, and, uh, but it looks like Furiosa will be set for 2023 along with Coyote vs. Acme and a musical film adaptation of The Color Purple based on the musical version of Alice Walker's story. So, um, yeah, I'm excited for some Furiosa. Um, I wish Charlize Theron was playing the character again, but whatever. I guess, I guess the aging technology doesn't exist. What? No, it's Anya Taylor-Joy from... Um, oh, she's good. Uh, yeah, she is, she is she good. She was in that Predator, not Predator, Terminator, Dark Fate, right? No, that is that uh, Mackenzie Davis. She was, uh, uh, she was no. in the Emma movie you didn't like, Corinne. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't uh, like it. It's okay. Was she in the witch? Yes, she's in the yes. witch. Yes, she's the yes. gal in the witch. She's uh, uh, um, Ileana Rasputin in the New Mutants. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And- I liked my version better. I think they should get Mackenzie Davis to play Young Furiosa. Oh, oh, from oh, from Terminator. Um, yeah. Yeah, that'd be a I cool idea. That. But yeah. um, none of us work for Warner Brothers. So that's not happening. Um, Warner Brothers, call me. I've got a lot of ideas. I'm you know what? Like the Martian right Manhunter movie, you pieces of shit. You know what? <laughs> <laughs> Corinne's like, I'm the head of a studio. It needs to be British and Japanese anime. And then I'll green light it. If it's anything else, go fuck yourself. <laughs> hey, Ryan. Might be yeah. better than me being put in charge of the studio because we all know where that'll lead. <laughs> <laughs> no, if I'm put in charge of Warner Brothers and I'm going, don't come to me until you have the new Friday the 13th script. <laughs> no chomp, movies get greenlit. <laughs> then you chomp on a big candy cigar because you're not going to smoke a real cigar, but a, cha- a candy cigar. Um, sure, Chris Nolan wants to go back to the Batman universe. He better make the Friday the 13th first. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, Christopher Nolan's Friday the 13th. <laughs> oh my God. What does that look like? <laughs> Is it two and a half hours? Oh That's- shit. Now I just thought Christopher Nolan doing a theatrical version of The Dark Knight Returns. <sighs> oh boy. <laughs> I'm psyching myself up for things I'll never have, you guys. You'll never get it. I'm too busy working on my sound design um, and just trying to make sure it's as <laughs> comprehensible as possible. Um, but uh, also, Warner Brothers has announced further plans on their streaming situation uh, regarding the DC uh, slate. Seems that the bigger DC films will be released to theaters and then smaller films will be going to HBO Max with potentials for HBO Max spinoffs. Um, so, yeah, like a Wonder Woman is going to go to the sur- to, to theaters and then some of the smaller stuff like I, I guess it seems like the um, Peacemaker and some of the stuff around the Suicide Squad will be going down to the service. So, um, yeah, that's how they're going to do that. Um, Warner Brothers decisions as of late are um, causing a bunch of shifts in Hollywood and it's so much so that Sony the studio that we including me multiple times have shit on on this show um, is uh, going to benefit greatly from this because they're going to get all the creative people because it's been bandied about town that they are still in the theatrical game which is true because a lot of the titles that have been going to the drive-ins whether catalog or new have been Sony releases 
like the drive-in 88 brad wasn't that there, there were a lot of sony titles and sony lineups like triple bills of sony just strewn about that lineup yeah they had the <laughs> they offered the cheapest licensing fees i guess during the mm-hmm. year so yeah. so so they're still in that theatrical game so it seems like people are going to start migrating over to sony again um and they also might look at something like what they did with Quentin Tarantino coming over to them and be like, hey, we'll come work for you. You're not going to just toss our movie under the bus in the theatrical window. Um, and then one last piece of Warner Brothers news. Patty Jenkins says that she won't make or she's suggesting that she won't make Wonder Woman 3 unless there's a theatrical model um, existing at that point. So it looks like she's saying out loud that she's going to stick to the guns of a theatrical release. It sounds like she's not happy with the big bombshell news that was released. Um, I bet uh, the $10 million she, dollars she got makes it better. I'm sure it does, but I don't think she was aware <laughs> that that was what they were going to do for the entire slate. She was under the, she already had, had agreed to Wonder Woman 84 being in that mix, but I don't think she knew what they were going to be doing that ended up causing the kerfluey that we're in right now. Um, we'll move over from Warner Brothers to MGM. Um, they're exploring the, it seems like they're looking to unload, um, the, um, uh, some of their, uh, uh, film titles and TV titles as well as their studio. Um, now please, everybody make sure that Disney didn't hear that. Make sure they didn't hear me say that out loud. Okay. And we'll be all fine. I think honestly, Warner Brothers should buy it at this point because they already have a lot of their, library titles from the era because the eighties and Ted Turner and that acquisition. So I think that would be a move for Warner brothers if they wanted to compete with Disney. I also think on the other hand that MGM should just stay a studio because um, monopolies. Uh, I don't know, Ryan, would you want to see MGM get bought up by another (laughs) company? (laughs) I mean, I really don't have a skin in the game because they need to make money. Yeah, and they don't—they don't release enough movies throughout the year, anyways. I mean, what they—I mean, they're, what's their big catalog? They're banking on is probably James Bond. It's Bond, and they—they've been making—they've been making do somehow this year, thanks to their Orion titles, which have you know, Bill and Ted Face the Music did well for them, considering the circumstances of the year. Yeah. Um, and then um, I know there was another Orion title that came out this year. I just don't remember the. Uh, the Wolf of uh... Oh, The Wolf of Snow Hollow. That's right. Yeah. So then, so yeah, they they've done okay. Like they've had decent hits, but they're not. We're in a COVID land, so it's it's a different expectation. Um, you know, the one Christopher Nolan talked about. Um, and then um, I've got two last pieces of news. Um, Steven Soderbergh and Scott Z. Burns, um, who worked on the uh, movie Contagion. Um, which told the story of a pandemic and an outbreak. Um, They're working on a philosophical sequel. Now I'm against this only because 10 years ago, they made a movie about a pandemic and 10 years later, we got a pandemic. So I don't want them to make another movie that foreshadows the fucking future. (laughs) (laughs) Um, On that note though, I'm excited to see whatever uh, Soderbergh has cooking up. I want to see his new movie with Candace Bergen and um, I think Meryl Streep's in it. So. Oh yeah, it's called Murphy Brown Nightlife. Yeah, yeah. Ryan, you you just sold a million tickets in my heart. Um, <laughs> hey, CBS All Access, can you give me all of Murphy Brown? <laughs> no. Okay, fine. I'll keep yelling. Meanwhile, while I'm yelling, um, the last piece of news was actually really a nice little uplift for me. Uh, 
Coming to America released a trailer, and it looks fun, and I'm excited for it. Did everybody really? else watch the trailer? Yeah, I didn't like the trailer. I, I thought it felt really flat. It's, but it's, that's how I felt about the B- Bill and Ted trailer, and I ended up being, you know, wowed by it. So I kind of just embraced, like, what they were giving me, what teases of things they were giving me. Oh, I'm, I'm going to see it. I mean, I have Amazon Prime, so I have no yeah. reason not to watch it. But Oh, yeah. yeah. And, I mean, I do like the first one. I don't know that, I, I don't, Jerry, did you watch the trailer? It kind of didn't do anything for me. Uh, yeah, I watched the trailer, and, um, well, to me, I'm excited. This, uh, the first coming to America was a good thing. And um, I only have love for that. It's one of my top five uh, comedies of all time, just because, um, and I don't know. I, I, sequels after a long period of time are worrisome because mm-hmm. um, that's the only hiccup that I have. And when I saw the trailer, I just, I don't know. I didn't know where to place it, but again, COVID, I'm kind of letting a lot of things slide. I just went to the movie. Um, so yeah, overall, I'm glad we're getting it. Trailer didn't really do much for me, but then again, the movie might, might be much. Yeah, I mean, Jerry, it feels like you're in the same boat with me. Like, like the trailer wasn't much. I love the first one, mm-hmm. and I have Amazon Prime, so I have really no reason just not to watch it. And I hope for the best, because I, I mean, I love 80s Eddie Murphy, and if I can get him being... 80s Eddie Murphy again, I'd be really happy. So that's why I got excited when watching the trailer. It wasn't necessarily the footage. It was like, oh my God, we we saw him come back with Dolomite is my name. Now he's coming back to this character. This is going to be a blast. What? The footage is okay-ish? Doesn't matter. I'm excited. Yeah. Um, and uh, and also Arsenio Hall's back with them, man. That's, that's a lot of fun. And they're going to do their making themselves up as different people again, too, and play the guys in the barbershop. I'm excited for that. Um, I haven't been excited for Eddie Murphy to put on makeup that way in a long-ass time. <laughs> <laughs> I don't can't, – can't remember it. Certainly wasn't 2007 with Norbit. But, you know, like <laughs> um, Academy Award nominee Norbit. Um, and, uh, and the makeup was good. <laughs> it is good. It is good makeup. Rick Baker's a great artist. Um, but, uh, but yeah, no, after Dolomite is my name, I'm, I'm on the Eddie Murphy revival train. I want to see that thing chug along as much as it wants to. Um, and that's news unless I missed anything major. Yeah. No. Um, I think some movies are coming out on Blu-ray next week. Are you sure? Let's dive into that in the new <laughs> release segment. DVD releases and Blu-rays. Ryan, there is so little, I'm going to say every title. <laughs> um, first off, um, you can get finally on Blu-ray A Night in Casablanca from 1946. That's a Marx Brothers movie. Uh, it's the second to last Marx Brothers movie, but it's the last Marx Brothers movie where they cared. Um and uh, it's the Blu-ray apparently has footage from their tour working out material for the movie itself. So I'm curious to see what that footage looks like. Um, on the new release front, the only thing available is Honest Thief, which you can get now on Blu-ray. No 4K, just Blu-ray. And that's fine, because that's where that movie belongs. Um, and then uh, everything else, it seems like it's... Um, oh. Um, anime. So, Lupin the Third, Tokyo Crisis from 1998. Devil Man Lady, 1998 through 1999. Jin Ray, the complete OVA series. 
case closed. Um, battle athletes. Um, full Metal Panic. Uh, and uh, that's all the anime. And then a movie called The Last Shift uh, with Richard Jenkins um, and Ed O'Neill is coming out to Blu-ray if you want to check that out. I vaguely remember this being talked about. I don't know if I've seen it. I like Ed um, O'Neill a lot. <laughs> I do too. Um, I, I, I don't remember if I've seen a trailer for it or anything. I, I kind of want to check this out. Seems like, I like Richard Jenkins a lot too. Yeah. Um, and then something called The Northlander. Uh, Black Jack, the Jackie Ryan story. Uh, the One You Feed and Two Ways Home. Embrace the past. Find your future. And that's Blu-rays for the end of 2020. It would make sense that the last round of releases for 2020 were only one good thing and a bunch of garbage. (laughs) And that's Blu-rays. We watch films throughout the week in a segment I call What We've Been Watching. So, uh, yeah, this is the stuff we've been watching. Now, Jerry, I usually start with our guests on this, but if you want us to go first to get yeah, get you uh, rolling, we can do that. Did you want to start? You want me to start someone else? No, I can start. Perfect. Go ahead, my friend. Um, so what movies did I watch this week? Yeah. Um, this was a throwback, um, and uh, we kind of got into a weird debate about it. Uh, I saw two films this week. I'm lying. I saw three films this week. Um <laughs> First one was uh, Die Hard 3. Um, yes. Um, and um, wow, I, I forgot how much I love that, that movie. Just, it's, it's good, cheesy fun. And um, Jeremy Iron is chewing the scenery, having a blast, just being a villain. Um, and back and forth between Sam Jackson and, um, and uh, Bruce Willis is just great. So uh, I watched that and... Uh, I was trying to figure out whether that's a Christmas movie or not. Um, yeah, I'm still trying to figure that one out because they do mention Santa Claus in it. So, um, mm. yeah, still trying to figure that out. Um, Jerry, Jerry, if you follow my rules, then yeah. you're correct. It's a Christmas movie because Psycho's a Christmas movie because there's Christmas decorations in the background in one shot. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah, see, there you go. I'll take that. Yeah. Welcome to my club. It's a lot <laughs> of fun. You're going to have yeah. a lot of fun in this. People forget that Die Hard 2 is also a Christmas movie. Yeah, so it's oh, even yeah, more of a Christmas right. to be the vengeance. Yeah, see, but, they yeah. all work. See, I was right. Um, so I saw that, and then uh, the other two films were the new releases. Um, which, uh, I saw Soul. Um, Yay! Yeah, I saw uh, it too. I think I'll get into it in a sec. Right, I saw Soul, and um, which uh, when we get, we'll get into it, I guess. Um, and uh, I saw Wonder Woman. So those, nice. are the, yeah. Nice. Uh, Brad, films you watched this week? Uh, yeah, uh, a lot of good stuff, actually. Uh, Those Who Can't uh, is streaming on HBO Max. I have HBO Max for the next 14 days or so. So I'm just trying to crank through as much of it as possible. Uh, the interface, like I'll be watching this thing and it'll just end and I'll have to go back and restart it. So that's not great. Hmm. But, uh, those who can't is a TV show that was on True TV for the past three years uh, got canceled. It's starring homegrown Denver comedians, um, and I've been trying to get to watch season three for a while and haven't been able to. And I finally did, and it's great. And it's a shame that that show is over. 
because it's a lot of it was a lot of fun. You uh, um you can also um if you want more Grolics in your life, you can listen to their new show, which I've been listening to and it's fun. Yeah, Grolics Save the World podcast. Uh they do little challenges each each episode uh to try and better the world. Uh but yeah, those you can't it's it's kinda like a less I I'd say like a less raunchy um Oh my God! Always sunny. That's not. It, it, it said it's a school. You know, just very episodic capers uh, with uh, bumbling buffoonish teachers. Uh, so yeah, I got to watch that. Um, I just finished today uh, watching the documentary McMillions, which is a I think a six part uh, documentary about the uh, McDonald's monopoly game scandal, um, where. Uh, this guy in Jacksonville, Florida found a way to obtain the, you know, the big prize tickets and just handed them out to friends of his and they all handed them out to friends of theirs. And so eventually the FBI was like, a lot of people in this family are winning the big prizes. So they tracked everyone down and found out is it really shows the destruction that one guy's scam caused for all like in great detail like all these different you know seemingly disparate lives um like everyone gets everyone affected kind of gets a lot of good screen time and like shows their story like a lot of people who did it were you know unaware that it was a scam you know there's like oh you know this guy sold this ticket to me and it's a winner and you know, he said if i split it with him i could have it it's like you know it in hindsight it's a stupid move but at the time it doesn't seem all that nefarious um, but you know, the repercussions of that scam is like the company that printed the tickets got, you know, put out of business because, you know, no one could ever trust them to run printing the pieces ever again. Um, mm-hmm. the advertising company that came up with the game went out of business. Um, yeah. So it's really, it's really, yeah, really fascinating. Yeah. And it happened like around this like the prosecution happened around the same time in 9-11 so right as it was like ramping up as this like big national case you know obviously that you know overshadowed it and so you you, you kind of didn't hear about it after that and so uh, these documentaries picked it up again and you know a lot of people got away they were directly involved got away with like a couple months of jail time and some restitution fees um but you know the people who lost their jobs from those companies they're like the biggest victims so uh yeah and then uh the other documentary i watched was the last dance which chronicles the uh 1990 chicago bulls which you know michael jordan in basketball wasn't a thing i was you know michael jordan was this huge star in the background but i didn't follow basketball as a kid uh so it was kind of cool to like the documentary really feels like i'm traveling back to the 90s mm-hmm. um and a little bit of the 80s and it's cool because it's really it focuses mostly on their final season, like the '98 season um, of the like second half of the dynasty. And as that's going along, they'll like time travel back to the '80s, and you know the majority of it focuses on Michael Jordan's career. So you, you know, I never really saw his rise. You know, I just really saw him as a superstar. So it was cool to see his drive, but at the same time, you see like the negative effects of a person with that much drive. You know, like as an outsider, you know, I see him as this heroic figure. And then the documentary kind of breaks down, you know, how he's just, you know, more of just a human person who doesn't want the stardom. Like he just wants the goal. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so stuff like the commercials and the Nikes and like Space Jam, they even have like a segment of dedicated to Space Jam. You know, he's part of his deal is like he has to have Warner Brothers construct a, his like private basketball court and training facility. And he's inviting like every NBA, NBA star of the league to come and like just play with him, you know, in between um, filming. You know, and he's like, he's, you know, he's training for the NBA during the day and filming the movie at night. And people are just like, when does this guy sleep? Um, so, uh, yeah, then it'll jump back. Like each episode kind of just half and half of like the last season and then leading up to that. And sometimes it's an interesting chronicle of like, you know, he's still playing at like an elite level, even in that last season. But you can kind of see where despite his claims of like having this drive to be excellent by that final season, he is taking a lot of shortcuts and obviously he's late in his late thirties. So he's not making those huge, like physically impossible jumps to the basket anymore, but he's still playing better than most people are. Um, But he still thinks he's playing at an elite level, but you Mm -hmm. you can kind of see where, you know, they argue that if they, if the top of the office hadn't, like that season just unilaterally decided they were going to like start rebuilding even while everyone's doing really well. Um, They could have gone for another couple more years and probably won more championships. But from what I saw, it seemed like it was a really good time to end, like definitely go out on top. Um, It's i I've only gotten in a couple episodes in. I still have to finish it, but I also appreciate that that show uh, highlights all the other players as well on that team. Yeah, I thought it was a really good look at Dennis Rodman, too, because, again, yeah. growing up, he just seems like this wild guy, you know, zany personality. But um, watching the documentary, I got and his relationship with Phil Jackson is like, here's this guy who's so good at what he does that he's bored with it. Yep. Um, and he's like, he's that genius that just needs to be like handled, you know. He needs um, to find a way to excite himself each time. Like when he's traveling to Vegas, like yeah, within when, the span of how many hours? Like <laughs> when he breaks in the middle of the NBA finals to go do a wrestling match and then come back hours later to, to like do the game. <laughs> like it's just, it's unheard of. Like yeah. the, the, the leniency for that kind of thing is just like, it's just great to see that like Phil Jackson just understands his players that well. That's why they call him the Zen master, man. Yeah. So um, yeah, it's just a great, I think it's like pretty long. I think it was 12 episodes or something or 10. Um, yeah, it's just fascinating because it's just a part of, you know, the zeitgeist that I was very unfamiliar with and it was cool to check it out. Um, and they just do so much detail about it. Um, yeah, and then the two years in between where Michael Jackson or Michael Jordan retired um, <laughs> and then his dad was murdered. Like that was I like... I want to see that Chicago Bulls with Michael Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> like he could have probably got like done a four Pete, you know, if the media hadn't like got on his, you know, case through the finals and then you know, his father's murder is just like, yeah, no wonder he like broke down and wanted to play baseball, you know, yes. they're pretty, pretty hard on him. So um, yeah, check that out. And then the last thing I watched, uh, which was pretty cool was Barry, which is the uh, Bill Hader, comedy where um he's the hitman who wants to be an actor um and yeah it's it's like a good i thought it was gonna be like funnier haha but it's actually more funny drama um there's two seasons up right now and yeah bill Hader plays this hitman um who's kind of disillusioned um and he 
like one of his hits involves him going to this acting class and uh, taking out this guy. And, you know, he just kind of inadvertently stumbles into like reading a line very well. And like people are like, Oh, you're really good at this. And then he's not that great at it. He's just kind of like in the right place at the right time, but he's so desperate to get out of that life. He's, you know, it's just like a, a hobby that he thinks he can like build into something more. And uh, it's just the twists and turns and uh, you know, the exploration of like, can someone who has done these dark things be redeemed? Um, I think pretty quickly the show says no, but uh, you, you like Bill Hader does such a great job of humanizing that character that you're like, you really want him to get away from it. And the end of season two, you're like, I don't think this guy's ever going to get out of this. Like, yeah, he's just too broken. Um, so I, I, just, I can't wait to see what season three has. Um, and it's also like amazing for him to show this guy who isn't a very good actor, but when he needs to elevate, like move the story along, like, I don't know, just playing someone who's a good actor also has to play someone who's not great at it, like sort of mediocre. And then the moments that move the story forward, he has to turn it on. It's just like, like I've been watching all those um, SNL sketches um, prior to this and just like him and the rest of that cast are just like really good at just mm-hmm. acting. Um, okay. Yeah, I, I still love his um, Daniel Plainview talk show um, sketch on SNL. Yeah, I drink your milkshake thing, yeah. I drink your milkshake! <laughs> Um, yeah, and then uh, like um, the Fonz is in it. What's his name? Henry Winkler is yep. the acting coach. Um, uh, he's a pretty uh, like it's it's cool to see him be like a mentor to that character in the in the show, and really to like everyone else in the theater. Um, yeah, I don't think there's anything else. Yeah, that's that's about it. Corinne, what did you watch this week? Other than a lot of Star Wars and Christmas stuff. Uh, I watched the new show on Netflix called Bridgerton. It is a period drama, although it's like Shondaland period drama. So, of course, there's a lot of like scandal and sexiness and whatever. And it's like, eh, it's okay. That's kind of what I was expecting because I saw the trailer for it. Uh, Julie Andrews does the voiceover for this um, mysterious figure who like knows everybody's uh you know hot gossip um lady whistle down and i was just like hey whatever i'll watch it um pretty good uh it's only eight episodes and i'm on the fifth one right now and um what so like shondaland like i applaud them for having such a, a wide diversity uh of actors in their casts even for a period drama um, there, there's a lot of actors of and actresses of color uh, on the main cast, and I just figured it was just like, it was just a thing. Like this is just a story, um, you know, just kind of race blind casting. That they're just like, yep, the Duke is a black guy, and these other people are, you know, Hispanic or whatever, and you just don't even think anything of it. But they actually incorporated it into the story. Um, admittedly, so far it's just like this, almost like a throwaway scene where they explain in universe the queen is a black woman and they're like yeah because the king married a black woman black people kind of or people of color um became accepted into society and were made 
um, you know, members of the nobility and the gentry because of that. And so that explains why everyone is kind of on this equal footing racially in a society that historically was not the case. So I just thought that that was kind of interesting. Definitely different than the usual Jane Austen, Elizabeth Gaskell stuff I'm used to watching. So, eh. It's okay. I'll finish it. <laughs> and then the other thing I watched, um, and, you know, Jerry, and I think Ryan, you watched it, so feel free to jump in, but I watched the new Pixar movie, Soul, on Disney+. Yeah, Plus. I did, too. <laughs> yeah, I forgot. That was part of mine, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah, there you go. Okay, so we can all talk about Soul. <laughs> I really liked it. Uh, well, okay, I liked it, although it wasn't quite what I was expecting. I've, without getting into spoilers, the, I, the structuring was a little different than I thought it would be just in terms of like the different plot points that happen. Um, but like the way that it ended, like that montage at the end, I was like, damn it, Pixar, why are you tearing up my heartstrings again? So, so your concern was that it would only be cold, only good, and then it ended up be, blowing your mind by being amazing, right? It didn't blow my mind, but what? it was just more of like, yeah, it was just more of like the plot, like what happened in the movie and kind of the central conflict. Basically, I wanted it to be more of the good place, and it was more of spies in disguise or something like that. But it was done correctly this time. <laughs> I don't know. I didn't see Spies in Disguise, so I, I can't didn't either, speak for but... that. <laughs> I mean, I think it, you know, it touches on a really heavy subject matter in a way that I thought was well done, generally. I just, I, I need to watch it again to really absorb the whole thing, because I think watching it that first time and, like, my expectations versus what I got, I, I'm like, I need to, like, mentally adjust and watch this movie and really... Um, you know, absorb what it's trying to impart to me. So, what did you guys think? Um, yeah, so, um, overall, I would say um, Pixar has done really good at tugging at the heartstrings. It feels as though ever since Up, it's just one after another. They know how to... Well, even back in, like, Toy Story 2 with Jesse's song... Yeah, that but, was a big uh, cry but, moment. <laughs> but Still nothing, is. But nothing like this, though. I, I think they've just gotten really good at that. Um, they've also gotten really good. I mean, I was looking at it visually. There were, there were scenes where the backgrounds were so realistic and they, the atmosphere was so real. I, I had to take it like, you know, I know the character models were very cartoonish, but it got to a point where I couldn't, I couldn't distinguish it anymore. They all felt very, like, very real. Um, you get really immersed in, in, the, in it. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Very immersive experience. Um, as for the story, I, I, I liked everything about it. It's just, and like, like to your point, Zach, it's just I expected something. Did not see any of this going. And I, and I think that's what made it such a great film for me. It's... Mm -hmm. I was expecting, yeah, there's going to be, like, when they showed all the, the character models of, like, what hell, I mean, like, heaven or something. <laughs> um, but I, I also did love that part, which is, you know, I forgot Jerry's like, okay, you guys will be insecure. 
and you guys will be this. I thought that was just self-absorbed. And the, oh. he goes, uh, "Why? Why do we? We should need to stop sending so many people to that dome." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I really like the design of all the characters, like all the like supernatural beings, and like the great beyond and the great before. And it was yeah. just kind of trippy to see like that difference in the art style. Yeah. Um, I that was the other thing very very great but yeah it's just I expected one thing and I was completely blown away and for me the the, the, the moment was you know when he, when he worked he got to the dream like what he wanted and realized you know sometimes when you get to the dream that you want it's you know it, it's not what you expected mm-hmm. and, uh, and it was just such a weird thing to see in a, in a Pixar film so yeah, this feels a, yeah, this feels like a really, really mature Pixar film. I don't know yes. if like if a five or six year old sat down, would they really get it? Would they be entertained? I just like I, Coco I, is obviously like a masterpiece and I think really blends that, you know, this kind of like something, you know, a very heavy topic, but also it's like a fun story that will keep younger kids engaged. Yeah. Whereas this, I'm like, I don't know if a five or six year old would sit through this. I, I I kind of agree, although obviously one of us has a kid here, and maybe he can attest to whether or not his mm-hmm. kid watched it. But oh, can I talk on my podcast? I didn't yes. know. <laughs> yes, you can, Ryan. <laughs> Ryan, what did you think of it? Uh, I, it's a beautiful movie, not just by the art, but also by the story. Um. You know, even though it deals, I think, with uh, very serious issues, I, I think it, it has a way of touching people in, in, I don't want to say simplistic way, but helps everyone understand what's important in life. And sometimes getting what you think you want isn't the most important thing that you need. Mm-hmm. And to be truly fulfilled, you know, you can say it's money, you can say it's the fame. And, and there's the great moment, you know, where he plays with the band. And that's the whole reason he cheated death was to go play in this quartet. And when he's up there and he's playing great, he realizes that that's not his life calling. And just oh. being alive is special. When, when, and, she, when she tells that story about the fish looking for the ocean. Yeah. Oh, God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, to answer your question about um, a child, uh, Kellen loved the movie. Um, there's, I think there's enough there to keep kids' attention. Obviously, because my kid has a really short ex- attention span, and uh, he loved it. So I think the world it creates, uh, like the, uh, the Terry's and the Jerry's in it, they remind me a lot of Donald Duck and Mathematic Land. Uh, mathematical land they had the kind of two-dimensional thing to them mm-hmm. um and and the actress who played uh terry was awesome you mean jerry <laughs> jerry yeah jerry one of the jerry's <laughs> there there are multiple jerry's <laughs> no no terry is an actress too um i'm, I'm pretty sure um let me look at the imdb real quick 
But yeah, but uh, I just generally felt like the movie was geared more for older kids than something oh, like no, Cars, for instance. I think Cars is more for your like four or five year olds, and this felt more like I don't know eight plus sort of thing. Cars is yeah, for uh, the only intelligent, oh, the super intelligent Corinne <laughs> to yes. understand how the cars talk takes a brain power that I don't possess. <laughs> yeah. uh, Terry is voiced by Rachel House. Um, oh, okay. And, no, I just love when they're at the end, they go, yeah, here's the award that Terry asked for. (laughs) (laughs) It's an award that I clearly deserved and will gladly accept. (laughs) um, But, yeah, you know, it's the, yeah, it's just a, it's a cute movie and it it deals with really heavy issues. But in a way, I think everybody can relate to. And it's also, I mean, it's in the title. It's, you know, yeah, the soul of the person, but you know what what makes your soul complete and i think i think that's universal you know i I think it's universal you always think you need something but brad and i were talking earlier today about you know material items for christmas and what do you really need and what makes you happy are two different things Mm -hmm. and i think i think that's universal and it's definitely a movie i think that people should watch and is a movie that is really good for what is happening right now is to appreciate what you have, not what you need. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just to, to follow up on that, that that's what actually, that's what got me. And I was thinking about the last movie, which was Coco, which kind of dealt with similar themes, but I. Actually, the last one was Onward. I mean, yeah. right. But. Where was it? Was that Pixar? Yeah, yeah Pixar was Onward. Oh yeah, it was on one. Um, I, I like this one better than Coco. I just there, there's something that I I've seen this movie twice, and I there's just it speaks like you said, especially with this year, with everything that's gone, that everyone's experience, finally getting up to actually ask yourself the question: It's not what you want. What do you actually need? Mm-hmm. And, and that's yeah this movie really yeah everything you guys said and yeah it just blew me away so got none but love for that yeah and it's what i love too about the film is you get um you know you're really into it and they do that montage about his life and um i i love how it ends i really do yeah um yeah. i think it's it's so freaking beautiful and I mean, I, I knew it was kind of spoilish, the, the quote I put on my Twitter feed. I was hoping it was vague enough where people would still see it, but it's, um, you know, what are you going to do now? And he says, I don't know, but I'm, I'm going to live, basically, is the gist of it. And it's pretty great. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, Jamie Fox is, is stellar. In that oh, film. it's, it's an yeah, astounding he, voice performance. Yeah, I couldn't even tell it was him half the time. I didn't realize Tina Fey was 22. Oh really? That, I, yeah, I, I didn't. I I hadn't heard. I haven't watched Thirty Rock in a while, so I I forgot what she sounded like. Um, <laughs> Why do you sound like a middle aged white woman? <laughs> <laughs> that should have given me the clue, but I was like, well, this could be anybody. Um, but uh, dude, like I uh, I'm glad that I didn't watch any trailer for this film beyond that one teaser we got pretty early on this year, because I I was like I I put it on right after work before recording here and i was just hooked to the television you couldn't drag me away from that thing um 
it's be- the animation is beyond anything I've even seen Pixar do with stuff like Coco and even Toy Story 4, where we were marveling at Toy Story 4 and that opening scene in the rain. That I mean, Jerry hit it on the nose. Like the, that world is immersive to an to an astounding degree. Like it is flat out New York. It's living and breathing in that atmosphere. It's some of the most stunning animation I've ever seen. And I, um, I, there's the the whole story works for me. That entirety works for me. My favorite scene in the movie is when one of his students comes up to the door and says that she's going to give up the trombone. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, uh, 22 as uh, Joe goes out and listens to her play. And it's just beautiful, like teacher student moment. Like there's like this beautiful thing of like being inspired and not giving up kind of thing like that, that, that little scene there touched a nerve. And then the ending when he looks upon all the items on the piano, like, yeah. There's there's a truth to the idea of this being the mature Pixar, a mature Pixar movie because that's a shot of an independent movie. That's not a shot in a in a Pixar movie or a Disney movie per se. That is a shot that comes from the years that they've built on that reputation of being able to tug at adult themes while being for an entire audience full of children, adults, middle aged kids, whatever. It, it's 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 pretty astounding like how they were able to do that and the movie is so it's so intimate for Mm -hmm. having the scale that it does in the uh before the uh the before place and the great beyond like there is it's a very intimate movie and i really appreciated what they pulled off with it it's astounding yeah could almost do a whole episode about it (laughs) i know (laughs) (laughs) Oh well. That's, yeah, that's that's all I've been watching. Zach? Um, I did not watch a whole ton. Um, I had a Christmas uh, Eve marathon of programs that I selected. This is my first annual ever that I'm going to do. And I, I programmed this correctly. Um, so I started with the Jack Benny program episode where Jack does his Christmas shopping. And it features um, Ryan. You'll love this. It it, it Mel Blanks on screen um, as he was on many of Jack's shows, and this is considered one of his finest performances on the television show, where he plays a uh, put upon clerk that keeps uh, that Jack keeps annoying. And it's a Christmas episode of a television show that still remains to this day has one of the darkest endings to any holiday show I've ever seen in my life. And this, this is a, this is an item from the 1960s. So it's, it's astounding how, how dark it still remains. Um, I won't spoil it because I would encourage people to check it out. Um, It is like, it's hard to suss it out in a modern scheme with mental health, but um, it's just astounding that they got away with that in that era. And you could definitely not get away with it today um, for good reasons. Um, and then um, I put on Scrooge from uh, the 1950s. Um, it's also known as A Christmas Carol over here. But this is the um, uh, version of A Christmas Carol that James recommended to me years ago. And I sat down and watched it a few years back, and I loved it. And I rewatched it um, for Christmas Eve. And any version of A Christmas, sto- uh, of a Christmas Carol can usually 
uh, suck me in pretty quick and tug on my heartstrings because that was my one of my grandfather's favorite stories. Um, this version I love because Alistair Sim just knocks it out of the park as Scrooge. Um, it's still one of those performances that is able to balance a bit of light humor with a lot of the dark things that happen in a Christmas Carol or in a Christmas Carol. Um, and Ryan, I've forgotten about this. Dr. Pretorius himself, Ernest Thessinger is in that movie playing the undertaker um, right. who, who tends to um, uh, Jacob Marley's um, passing. And then also is among the many people who's trying to sell Scrooge's shit when he's dead. Um and uh, but that's stacked. It, it's a stacked British cast too. Um, I, I, if you haven't seen this film, I recommend you watch it on the grounds of like if we're talking about Christmas carols from the golden age of Hollywood, um, the one from MGM from the '30s is good too. But I I do recommend this one because it's British cinema in the '50s and it's kind of experimenting with a lot of interesting visual tropes. Um, that I, I I really love how they show um, the suffering and the lamenting of the poor after Jacob Marley's given his spiel in front of the fire, um, and uh, the children um, playing ignorance, um, and oh god, um, the two children at his at uh, Christmas presents feet um, are are still some of the creepiest looking versions of those characters in this story that I've ever seen. Um, and then, of course, I cry at the end when uh, Tiny Tim says, God bless us, everyone, because I'm not a religious person, but my grandfather used to say that at dinner all the time. So um, I uh, I got choked up. And then I got choked up again because I rewatched It's a Wonderful Life. Uh, this time I watched it in 4K, and I'll never watch it any other way again. I texted Ryan in the middle of watching it going, this this transfer is fucking gorgeous. Like... I have never seen that movie look that good, but also I don't think I've seen a black and white movie look this good in 4k, not even the psycho uh, remaster looks this good to, in my mind. Um, it's pretty remarkable. Um, and if you don't know the story of it's a wonderful life, it's about how George Bailey needs to be convinced that he shouldn't toss himself off the bridge. Um, but uh, the, it, it was well wonderful. At a boy, Clarence, at a boy. And uh, it just, and I, you know, like every, every time I rewatch this movie, I forget that Christmas only happens for 30 minutes of the movie. And the majority of it, it really is this life story of a man who really keeps getting the seemingly the worst luck in the world. Um, and, uh, and, and, uh, Barrymore as Mr. Potter is still one of the vilest scumbaggiest people on the planet. He resembles a lot of people that we know today. Uh, but you know, like it's, it's just still a wonderful delay. It's a, Hey, it's a wonderful movie called it's a wonderful life. Um, and you should check it out. And if you get the 4k, you can take that color disc and toss it in the garbage. Um, because there's no need for that movie to be in color. I know. Do you follow Screenplayed on Facebook, Zach? No. Why should I explain? Uh, Screenplayed is uh, they'll run a scene from a film, and then they'll have the script uh, scrolling beneath it. Oh, you've you've sent you've shared some of those with the Joker. Yeah, um, yeah, with- they're they're pretty cool. Um, and uh, they had it's a Wonderful Life the the last scene where he's like, "Out of boy, Clarence," um, and with the you know, but they put the colorized version. Like, what uh, the fudge? Like, it uh, doesn't look bad. It's well, now, just, I, now I don't yeah. want to follow them. 
<laughs> I don't to quote Orson Welles speaking to Ted Turner rhetorically, tell that asshole not to put his crayons on my movies. Uh that yeah, no, you don't need it. I guess if somebody wants to watch the colorized version, it's there for your enjoyment. I still have to dig into the special features on this thing though. Um, well, one of the things that you might find is the alternate ending, the deleted version of the ending, Zach. It, it was it was unearthed by Saturday Night Live. Oh, that you- sketch is lovely. <laughs> that's Phil Hart. That's Phil Hartman SNL too. That's a wonderful sketch. That hey, it's a wonderful sketch about it's a wonderful life. Um, uh, and yeah, and then um. And then I watched um, A Night in Casablanca, um, the second to last Marx Brothers movie that I talked about. I, I don't have the Blu-ray yet. I still have it on DVD. What? Um, what oh, and, um, and re-watching it, uh, it's been a while. It's, it, it holds up better in my mind because having gone through the MGM movies again, um, uh, apart from Night of the Opera, like the MGM movies kind of decline bit by bit by bit. There's still great moments in them, but they're like they're not. They're they're also carried by like unnecessary plots for the Marx Brothers. There's no need for the big cl- action set pieces that they have at the end of those movies. Night at Casablanca has a way to kind of appease people who like both versions of the Marx Brothers because the brothers feel more involved in the comedy and dedicated to giving good performances in it um, and delivering their shtick properly. Um, And also it's the Marx brothers versus Nazis. So I'm not going to complain too hard. If the Marx brothers want to fight Nazis, I'm not going to tell them to stop. Certainly I don't have the time machine to do it, but if I did, I certainly would not take time to go over there and go, Hey, uh, no, stop Zach. Let the Marx brothers fight (laughs) Nazis, especially if the Nazi, the main Nazi is played by Sig Ruman because I love seeing Sig Ruman get smacked around by the Marx Brothers. So why wouldn't it be even better if he was a Nazi in this? Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a fun movie. It's not great. Um, uh, it, it, I noticed in this viewing that, so, I mean, Ryan might know this a little bit more than others, but the, 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 the Marx Brothers at a certain point, they start uh, becoming much more in service to the love story in their movies. And this really begins in a night at the opera and then carries into the MGM realm in this one. Yet they're still in service to the love plot. However, there is less and less of the love plot in that movie, thankfully than there is in the other MGM films. So, um, but um, it's it, yeah. If, if you're looking at getting that Blu-ray, I would recommend giving it a shot. It's not the best Marx brothers, but it's Marx brothers. Um, and yeah, and then uh, and then I watched Soul. And if you don't watch Soul, why haven't you watched Soul? Watch Soul. Like, I can't. Hello, watch Soul. And that's all I watched this week. <laughs> uh, yeah, I I really didn't watch that much. I my wife gave me this bombshell um, on Christmas night. We she gave me the movie Bombshell. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, on Christmas night, we usually watch a Christmas movie, and she usually picks, like, Krampus or Gremlins, and both fine films, but we've seen them so much. I said, you know, Laura, can't we do something different? Can't we watch, you know, um, 
Die Hard this year, and she said, I've never seen Die Hard, and I couldn't believe it. So we watched Die Hard. And how? How did that not? How? I don't know. And her, her dad loves um, action movies, too, and used to let her watch them when they were younger. So I don't know how she didn't see Die Hard, but she liked it because she likes action movies. And yeah, that movie's still awesome. That movie is a Christmas movie. Yes. And um, yeah, it's just lots of fun. Uh, you, you get the full on Bruce Willis guy before it was a Bruce Willis, like, you know, Bruce Willis. And before I want one million dollars per minute of film that I'm on screen, yeah. Willis. <laughs> but it's still fun because he's still, you know, just an average guy. Just come out to the coast, have a couple drinks. Um, I, I like the movie a lot. Um, what I don't like is because I haven't watched it in a long time. Is I have the Die Hard collection on Blu-ray, mm-hmm. and it's in a horrible packaged thing. I don't know if anybody else has the orange one where it's in two separate foldouts and the discs are like tucked really tight into the cardboard. And so I forgot how much of a pain of the ass it is to get it out. And um, I don't think they've ever yeah, done a good version of that. I know. Um, still a fun film. I, I seriously, if they didn't have Die Hard two and three and, you know, I guess four, um, I would just trade that in and uh, get the, uh, <laughs> the ultra HD of Die Hard only. And, yeah just bad packaging and the only other thing i watched is uh on disney plus they have a documentary series called marvel 616 and each episode is directed by a different filmmaker and they touch different areas of the marvel comic universe um so there's one episode where they talk about uh the women characters of marvel um the marvel method they talk about uh, they have two artists from Spain that they do a whole documentary about cosplayers. It's a really cool documentary. Um, Paul Shears on one where he's trying to find forgotten heroes and it's, they're called, uh, Oh, they're horrible. They're like this dolphin and bear and lion that get superpowers by these like enhanced headbands or something. I can't remember the name of the group, like battle, animals i forget but anyways i watched the episode and then i went online and was seeing about it and i guess after that episode came out everyone was buying up those comics that were originally like two dollars and now they're selling for like 20 bucks each (laughs) and uh they're totally shitty characters but it's done really funny and uh yeah that's all i watched but if you want to see stuff on the out uh, on the Marvel comic side, um, I would definitely check out Marvel Six One Six on Disney Plus, uh, and it's cool because each, you know, each episode is directed by a different director, so each one has a different feel to it, and they each are unique in their own right. Definitely check it out; it's fun stuff. That's all I watched this week on Real Nerds. We streamed Wonder Woman nineteen eighty four. Corinne, should people watch Wonder Woman? Sure. Couldn't hurt any. <laughs> I uh, I like the movie maybe even a little bit more than the second one, just because I feel like it stuck the landing a tiny bit better. 
but it's still not quite. Wait, are you I including Batman Superman as the first Wonder Woman movie? Oh, no, 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 no. Okay, so Wonder Woman. So they just say Superman that name. Wonder. What's the second one? That's not this. Hmm? This is the second one. You said you like this even better than the second one. Oh, I meant I like it better than the first one. What else? Okay, cool. That's what I was trying to clarify. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> Ugh, it's been a long day. Anyway, um, yeah, it's um, it wasn't quite what I wanted. It's still not quite as good as I would want it to be, but it's ultimately harmless. I feel like it's kind of like maybe upper mid-tier of superhero movies. Um, Jerry, should people watch Wonder Woman 1984? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, without a doubt, a couple, couple of things from that. One, if you love comic books, why wouldn't you watch this? I mean, honestly, you, 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 you owe it to yourself to watch it. Secondly, this is a Wonder Woman movie. I can remember a time when even getting a first Wonder Woman movie was... I don't know. We, we didn't think that would ever happen. Impossible. Yeah, you have a better chance. You had a better chance of predicting when Jesus would come back than <laughs> when he would make a one. Um, so there was. So when I when I was in when uh, so I streamed it. So it was. Yeah, I just uh, I would say go watch it. And yeah, you know it's not a perfect movie, obviously, but. Um, yeah, I was just really thrilled. I was I enjoyed the movie uh, overall, and there were three key things that made me completely uh, throw away all the problems with it. Uh, not sure if you guys want to know it now or later, but yeah. after the after the trailer, we'll get into yeah. spoilers, Jerry. <laughs> right, cool. Yeah, Jerry's recommendation: go for it. <laughs> Brad, should people stream Wonder Woman 1984? Yeah, uh, it pains me to say this, but this is like a huge misfire for me. Like, I was shocked that this was the movie we got. Um, I just have so many questions about why this movie is what it is. Um, you know, I, I don't know why it's really even set in 1984. It seems like there's nothing about the plot that needs that. Um, uh, yeah, there's like certain, like, I can't believe we have two out of like the limited amount of Wonder Woman movies we get, we have two where her mate, her problem is that she can't be with Steve Trevor. Um, it's like, is there nothing else you can do with that character? Um, mm. Yeah. I just, I'll, I'll bitch about it more after the trailer. <laughs> Zach. Um, I'm a little bit more positive than Brad on it. Um, I think the movie has some issues primarily in the script department and the runtime department, but I really liked and admired the optimism and the attempt to tackle bigger themes that the movie um, tries to go for. I don't think it succeeds, but I appreciate the effort. Um, and I really liked um, Pedro Pascal in this movie. Um, he was very, very interesting to watch. Um, but yeah, uh, I'd say check it out, especially if you've gotten the free trial for HBO Max. Do that, and then watch Looney Tunes cartoons because that's the best thing they have on their service right now. I, I do want to add, like, I did like one thing about it is that it does, in a in a meta way, the one thing it, I think it does achieve is that it it does reach for that Richard Donner Superman 
yeah feel which would be a very 1984 thing mm-hmm. um like if if this is a movie that came out in 1984 this makes sense yeah uh i i'm in the middle on this one i I loved the first Wonder Woman film and I think there was a defining moment in that film when she crosses no man's land and that's a moment with the music with what Diana does makes it that is the movie to me and that's who she is as a character this film really didn't have that and it looks spectacular I think the music is good in it but I also agree with Brad is if you're going to set something in 84, shouldn't it feel a little more 84-ish? And uh, besides, look at the jazzercise we're doing, you know? Um, It feels like it's an excuse to use the aesthetic. Like, why wouldn't you use, like, oh, it's an indictment of the, like, consumerism and, like, excess of the 80s, you know, with the whole wishing thing. Like, why wouldn't you make a stronger parallel to that? Again, they like it said, like, they try to do it, but they don't fully, they don't succeed. We might Anyways, want to wait until, yeah, yeah, the trailer to get into spoilers. Anyways, uh, if you have HBO Max, yeah, stream it. It's it's fun. I, I mean, it's still a fun film. Here's the trailer for Wonder Woman 1984. This world is not yet ready for all that you will do. Your time will come, Diana. And everything will be different. Citizens of the world. I'm here to change your life. Anything you want. Anything you dream of, you can have it. Look like you saw a ghost. It's like not one day has passed. I don't want to be like anyone. I want to be an apex predator. You've always had everything, while people like me have had nothing. Well, now it's my turn. Get used to it. for rules the answer is always more the way i fly they will never find us i forgot to tell you what radar will they will they shoot at us You know, I'm not so keen on this one. I figure uh, you are, but you know what? I'm ready to go. I think we can do better. Parachute pants? Yeah. um... Does Does everybody parachute now? So... 
70 years have passed, I guess, <laughs> since um, World War One and the uh, passing of Steve Trevor. And Diana now works for the Smithsonian as a scientist. I don't know what she does. Um, Archaeologist, and, I guess. Yeah. So she's there. Um, and while she's there, there's also Maxwell Lord, played by the Mandalorian, is uh, trying to get his oil company off the ground, but he's a con man. So he's banking all of his stuff on this MacGuffin rock. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like the purest MacGuffin ever. I know. The dream wait, stone. wait, no, no, no. I don't approve of this bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, like... and I can understand like why people would have a problem with the dream stone, but actually I didn't <laughs> think it was that bad just because I remember a lot of the because I'm a big fan of Wonder Woman from the Justice League cartoon from like early two thousands and a lot of her stories were very centered on like the like magic and the gods and stuff like that. So this actually didn't really bother me because I'm like, this is Wonder Woman. This like, you, you just kind of need some weird shit to get the plot going sometimes. It, it, it's it it's interesting how that eventually the stone goes away because Max himself becomes the MacGuffin, um, and um, so in a sense the MacGuffin's gone. But like, I I didn't have a huge issue with its existence per se <laughs> really? uh, like, gonna... like it's it just like i when it comes to a comic book movie i'm kind of expecting them to do certain things like that i don't think this is as, as egregious as the mul multitude of MacGuffins in something like La rise of skywalker but um <laughs> but but i get why it's an issue because yeah we are spending a lot of time on this stone and it it's you you have a wishing stone that will do whatever you say. Like, why not just, why does Max Lord have to go around convincing people to make wishes? Why doesn't he just like wish that everyone just gives him his wishes? Because he, he only gets one, right? Don't he, he only get, get one wish? He, he, it's, it's his way of getting around the whole like, oh, well, if I had a genie, I'd ask him for a million wishes and then just basically make him my slave. Yeah, like, but so also, that... why, why do the people have to give him anything in return? Because it's a monkey's paw. Well, it takes it takes from you when you as it gives it takes. Yeah, no, no, I understand that, Zach. But why do they have to give it to him? Because he be he's the dreamstone now. He be he wishes to become the stone itself. Yeah, and then he uses it to just like convince people to give him their oil land. So why doesn't he just ask for the oil land to begin with? Like why does he have to become the soul the wishing stone? Like, because he wants to he have needs, his. <laughs> he needs he wants... people to make their wish, and it has to be like a genuine thing, I guess. Well, like, I was gonna say. I don't know. Well, I was go ahead, Jerry. Plot. Well, I was gonna say three things. One on the stone thing. I think we spent like a decade watching. Um, I don't know a purple alien collect magical stone to put on a gauntlet. So. <laughs> That's that's also a thing we should also you know that's that's a thing that we all watched. Uh, and didn't yeah, see. but Jerry, we also didn't have Thanos go. I wish for my inevitability. You know. Yeah, <laughs> there's, but there's more to I, it than just. Yeah, that. I feel like right, the but, Infinity Stones had rules to them. Yeah, <laughs> it had rules which it broke, but you know, there's that. But the other thing is, um, and I do agree with you that. The Dreamstone's function in the film was problematic because it um, 
by him becoming the Dreamstone, it didn't the it didn't make sense. So if I make a wish or you ask me for a wish, there should be a negative consequence to it. That's just one of the things that happened. But he chose what the negative consequence was. So it just bothered me a little bit. So if he said, you know, I I want your health and your life force and whatever, then like it just the the the, the science of it didn't make a whole lot of sense. The 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 <laughs> The way, the reason why I'm not incredibly perturbed by it is because if the if the MacGuffin's function primarily is to be an item that the characters care about, and vicariously, since we care about the characters, we care about this, it technically succeeds, because I do technically care about these characters, or at least I care about Diana. I care about Steve, question mark, um, and I care about um, uh, Barbara in, in her own way. Um, Why does the stone need to inhabit a stranger's body to manufacture Steve? Like everything else you. it conjures up <laughs> out of thin air, but yeah, it needs that, to like take over a person's, an existing person's body and make them do things against their will to be Steve. I, yep. I, that confused the hell out of me when it came on screen. I'm like, wait, 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 wait. Why can't this guy Steve? Steve. <laughs> yeah. So then they do the trick with the camera where they 180 it. And then all of a sudden the mysterious hunk is now, uh, oh, the hunk I knew back in World War One, and I it 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 fell flat for me. I'll tell you what, I'm gonna make a bold claim. I know that the scenes between Steve and her are wonderful to watch. Um, I don't think Steve Trevor needed to be in this movie. Nope. I don't. I don't. I did not see the purpose. It. I, oh, go ahead, Brian. I didn't say anything. Uh, oh, sorry. Jerry. Oh, Jerry, sorry. <laughs> I was going to say, if you're going to remove an element from this film, I don't think you would remove Steve Trevor. I think you remove Maxwell Lord. I agree. Steve Trevor and what's happening to Diana and her grieving and trying to, you know, and that coping mechanism and all of that. I think Steve Trevor was important to be in there. Maxwell Lord's... Um, Unless he's the main villain, I, I don't think he works as a secondary villain. Um, because his entire plot, like if you remove everything that's Maxwell Lord's, the movie then just focuses on um, Wonder Woman and Barbara and Minerva. It just and it feels a little bit more impactful. That's I, what, okay. what, what okay. I agree, Jerry, because I you know, that scene when uh, Kristen Wiig is walking down and she sees the drunk guy again and yeah. starts kicking him and stuff. I go, okay, I'm behind this villain because she makes more sense because it's, I'm giving a power I've never had before right. and I'm going to take full advantage of it. Right. And, you know, her wish, she lost her humanity, I guess, in it. And her warmth and her kindness is what Diana refers it to. Yeah. So then how did she turn into the cheetah? Because she wanted more, and Max gave her more because the magic MacGuffin. Wouldn't it be more compelling if, since it's a monkey's paw situation, if she brought Steve back, but Steve ba came back as, like, a worse person? Like, he just devolved and devolved and, like, wasn't everything that Diana wanted him to be? But but this is a superhero sequel, and we need to have her lose her powers at some point because that's been established as a trope in superhero films to get to get yeah, people man. further invested into it. I mean, Spider-Man Spider -Man 2 did it very successfully, so a lot of other sequels have tended to go into that territory when, when they feel it's necessary. 
I think the person that if you wanted to turn evil based on the the influx of power would be you could say Diana made the wish and got Steve Trevor back, not through like quantum leaping into some other dude's body, but in more mm. just you know you could give him an actual body. Um, he did quantum leap. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and just then you have Barbara uh, getting all of Wonder Woman's powers because of all the ex- because so far she's had negative experiences, not badly. But then you can have, then you can play it onward. Like, well, she gets all this power, she becomes evil and grows in there. Wonder Woman has, like, she's becoming Diana, but just would all based on her interaction, it goes bad. Diana having to relinquish Steve Trevor and you know you, you could easily do that or you can say that Wonder Woman still has her power loss Barbara is bad and Wonder Woman is still trying to figure out what the right thing to do and because she's depowered she goes and gets um, the the golden armor and uses that in battle and you know you could you could do something like that I don't know which the whole gold armor thing like that was useless like, because Cheetah just ripped it apart. Yeah, also, too, I mean, I, I'm not saying I totally try. I actually enjoyed parts of this movie a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But w- was Diana afraid of fighting in this movie? Like, when she, you're talking about the armor when the Cheetah's ripping it apart, she never, like, punches the Cheetah, doesn't do anything. She just lets her destroy her armor. It and then, the movie made it feel like Wonder Woman's, like, her first choice is to not fight. Like, I definitely got that, it, like, She's a very peace first, like fight is the last resort compared to other superhero movies. So I get that. But also she figures out how to fly in this one. And how does that work? Because in 2016, she d- doesn't know how to fly. She, she uses the air. Um, and also because love, Brad, because love. <laughs> well, I would say like just adding to that would be... Um... Well, I would say I come to this because I've read so much of the comics that I know that Wonder Woman has two natures to her character. You have the warrior nature, which you got in the first film, which is I will fight an enemy until either I'm dead or he's dead. That's the only outcome. But then you have the more empathetical character, which is driven by because she was given all the gifts of the gods. One of them was wisdom. So in her, her using those abilities and just not trying to to punch like you know cheetah or anything like that i thought that was interesting that was a interesting way to go against an adversary i, I thought that, that yeah yeah in the comics she snaps max lord's neck so yeah they definitely uh <laughs> switch that around wait yeah, wait wait, wait. i That's thought that the- i went okay so like once they said that like to kill or like to resolve the whole situation with the dreamstone, either everyone renounces their wish or you have to destroy the dreamstone and that being Max Lord, I was like, she's gonna break his neck. She's gonna kill this guy. Super and then style. it's like, yeah. And then of course she didn't. And I was like, well, I guess, yeah. It's more in keeping for like this version of the character. Like you're you're right. Like she's not this bloodthirsty, like I will kill even if it's a last resort sort of thing. But Wait yeah. a minute. Oh, you guys just blew my mind. She breaks somebody's neck in the comics? Yeah. Yeah. And so yeah, Zack Snyder... Yeah, so, she breaks Max Well Lord's neck yeah. in the comics. It's a very famous scene. So did Zack Snyder see that comic and go like, say, this will work for my Superman movie. Like, that, nah, yep. I, I gotta rethink the entire DCEU now. Um, also, nah, I, 
the the invisible jet like i was <laughs> that was so awesome did, did i miss it and she really said like i have this power but it only works sometimes so she just touches the jet and it becomes invisible no you got it oh my god yeah it was just like experiment it was just like a way to get the invisible jet so in the movie and i was fine she, with it conceivably she could touch steve trevor and make him invisible she could make herself invisible when she's fighting cheetah yeah, but the thing is, is she's only experimenting with the power, and I don't know if she can undo it. Cause she That's lost the that, thing. Because she lost that coffee cup, guys. Exactly. She lost that coffee cup. And also, by the way, why do we need her to fly when one of the things I do know about Wonder Woman from cursory knowledge is an invisible jet? And I honestly thought it was bullshit that he didn't teach her how to fly the invisible jet. I'm like, it's her jet. You teach her how to fly it. But I think she flew later in the movie, so I was okay. <laughs> I, 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 I agree. I don't know. I, I, okay, guys. Like, I mean, again, my, my comic book knowledge is like on the basis level imaginable, unless it has to do with a guy in a Rorschach mask. Do <laughs> the um, uh, d- can she fly in the comics? Yes. Yeah. Okay. All right then. All right. I know. But, I'm, I mean, I'm down with her riding lightning. I thought that was awesome. <laughs> yeah, that was awesome. The full on Superman flying like. It's weird to establish that when you've already had like three movies set in the present where she can't do that. <laughs> but, but, they're, but they're erasing that continuity, except they're yeah. not because we're getting that director's cut. I don't know what this universe is supposed to be anymore. I've just given up and said, oh, okay, it's like normal DC continuity. It okay. doesn't matter. <laughs> okay. Oh, Thank you, if- Jerry. Thank you. <laughs> The one big comic nerd on this with me knows exactly what I'm talking about. Even if it's the multiverse, it doesn't make sense because she's still in this reality. Uh, it's a retcon, and I'm okay with it. Get yeah, on. she, uh, you know, when she started. Because I honestly thought it was bullshit in the first movie that she couldn't fly. So yeah, kind of giving us, one. yeah. Also, yeah. she finally threw the tiara, you guys. <laughs> that was if she had thing. said. If she had said, Hera, give me strength or something like that, I would have just flown out of the room. Like, yes! She finally said that. Ah, we finally got Wonder Woman for real. And then I, 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 I... Am I the only one who thinks that maybe this film needs to be two hours and ten minutes and not two and a half hours? I yeah, you know, cut I agree with Maxwell you, Lord out of it. You cut Maxwell Lord out and also I maybe... Think that- Intro sequence needs to be way shorter. It took forever. I'm like, get to the point. She's going to cheat. She's going to lose. Also, tighten up around the section when we're being introduced. I mean, obviously, you'd be getting rid of Maxwell Lord for this. But also trimming around those introductory sections before Steve Trevor enters and such. Like, just tighten it up a little bit. It's not, I'm not asking for the moon. I'm just asking, like, tighten up some scenes. Some things just last a little bit longer than I think they should. Um it's wow. also a huge missed opportunity when you, you you establish your movie. The first scene is about like not taking shortcuts, and then in the in the final fight, she never says cheat is never prosper. Just complete waste. <laughs> <laughs> complete waste. <laughs> oh my god! I, I did I did like the movie uh, the music a lot, and I thought there's times when um, I thought the music was really good when she was in the invisible jet and they were flying with the fireworks yeah. and. Um, the 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 rally music where she's riding lightning I thought was really good. I'm surprised they jettisoned that like guitar riff that they had for her from the. Well, they have it in a Hans Zimmer version. 
because you can hear strains of it throughout, but it's not the guitar. Um, but also, you make an '80s movie and you don't put any '80s pop songs in there. Come on, come on. You know, I thought no, they but... had one at like the gala thing they were at. Yeah, it was like a remix of like I don't know, Depeche Mode or something. Yeah, but they missed out. I I agree. Like to have an '80s movie and not have you know, Hungry Like the Wolf or Love Is a Battlefield. You just... Or just anything by Van Halen. I mean, yeah, they're just missing opportunities on there. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, yeah, when she throws I, her tiara, Panama's playing. <laughs> oh, when oh starts, my god! Oh my gosh! Right, don't even tell me. <laughs> can we can we take that scene and now remix it with Panama? Mary, uh-huh. get on it. She uh-huh. do when she starts riding the lightning. You use jump. Yeah. As I say, use thunderstruck. We can't do that. That's Iron Man. Thunderstruck. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You gotta get some girl bands in though, so you definitely gotta get like Joan Jett or uh, Pat. See, that's or, see, the one the thing Go-Go's. that I think Captain Marvel did well, even though it was maybe a little on the nose, arguably, but it's like it did. It felt '90s just thanks to the music. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I will say, here's here's one thing I will throw in its favor. I appreciated an '80s movie in the current '80s retro vibe we all still feel. That addresses, even though it fails at it, tries to address, hey, the 80s weren't that glamorous spot you all remember it being because history and the state of the world. Um, But again, it doesn't do anything with it. It touches the whole capitalist thing that John Carpenter does better in They Live, (laughs) which was made in the 80s. Um, It barely touches that surface because it does a very cursory version of it. But... um, I, I don't know. Like a, I liked the scene in the mall a lot, though. That felt mm-hmm. like an '80s action movie. Also, she's fighting like criminals in the open in a mall. Like, and later Batman has trouble trying to track her down. Like, yeah, the mall scene. All the balls closed and down. Course, I don't nobody, know where to find her. <laughs> nobody recognizes her. Nobody. Yeah. Nobody's like, hey, you look like that Wonder Woman lady who's been helping everyone. It, it, it doesn't matter, guys. The DCEU doesn't exist anymore. It's now all the things and yet none of the things at the same time. Yeah, I would say like in the, in the mall scene, um, a lot of this film really felt, because um, when I was looking at the writers, Jeff Jones is one of the writers on, uh, on this. And this was a guy who really loved Dick Donner Superman. So there's a lot of that shade in there. And, you know, the Kurt Swan wink that she does to the little girl. Um, And I think that's when the movie, that little girl, that's who this movie's made for. I think one of the things that I started thinking about, you know, thinking about this movie a lot is, you know, as a 35-year-old man watching this and trying to, you know, even though I've read comics, there's, there's a giant disconnect with that little girl who she winked at in the, in that scene in the mall. So I honestly start thinking that's who this movie might be made for. And I think if you look at it through those, through that lens, it plays, I mean, yeah. it's, it plays incredibly well. Um, yeah. And that's why I can't throw the movie under the bus entirely because like for all the things that I could nitpick, there was enough of that good feeling within it that I was like, this is a cool superhero movie for an audience that's dying to dissect it and digest it. That's not our age and will carry this forward. Like that's, that's 
more than enough reason for it to be existing and being watched. Yeah. And also yeah. not represented. I mean, you know, it, this was, I think, Corinne, you and I had this conversation when Captain Marvel came out. And I think we saw it mm-hmm. more than once. Um, there, you know, for, I grew up with Batman, Superman, a lot of male characters. And it's not to play the gender card on this, but it, I do also think that, you know, we might not, I mean, as a guy, I sometimes have to remember, like, I might not be the best audience for this. And that's perfectly fine. Like, if I'm just, you know, Captain Marvel, I had issues with that movie, but all of my friends who are women love that movie. And I just started realizing there's something I'm missing in this. For, that's why I'm always kind of just take a step back and go like, okay, how harshly do I want to tackle this? Wait. I might not be the right audience. I need to check where I'm going with this. So that's just me. I mean, it's always fair for you to just not like a movie just because you don't like a movie. But also it's fair to say like, you know what? It's not for me. Other people can like it if they want. Mm-hmm. And then you just move on. Yeah, I was on board with it like through that mall scene. Like I was like, this is mm-hmm. great. And then everything after that, I was just like, this is what the movie's going to be? Like, what's going We're doing this? Okay, well. And I've seen like a lot of people still love it. So that's great if it inspires them, but yeah, and, um, and it's also I, really long. <laughs> yeah. I, <laughs> it, it, this is one thing I don't think we've touched on. Uh, this, this had a, a remnant of the dark Knight rises for me where much like how Batman's not in that movie that much, but Bruce Wayne's in that movie a ton. Diana Prince is in this movie a bunch, but wonder woman's like, she has that first big scene. And then she's gone for a good like chunk of the movie before she comes back in Egypt. And then there's another big stretch before we get her back again. So like, there's a, there's, there's a lack of wonder woman in this movie up until that third act when we get all the wonder woman. Um, So I feel like there was like, there was just a lot of time without her being wonder woman. And again, dealing with. And she's using her powers as the wonder woman. Yeah. And so. honestly, I felt like the third act was where the movie kind of fell apart for me. And it just, it seemed like that whole last bit with her and Maxwell Lord and the whole like renouncing wishes thing, which by the way, shout out to Hollywood for keeping the wind machine companies in business. <laughs> but You're welcome, Corinne. That's what we do. <laughs> it just seemed like it took forever. And then, he he's been the sleazeball this whole movie and then he gets like this little moment of redemption with his son and i'm like i'm i'm sorry i love pedro pascal he's a great actor but that character i'm like you did not earn my sympathy in any form you are a terrible person you should be in prison and your son deserves a way better father so but kylo ren right he only killed a billion people and his father yeah, which you know, when you say that, it makes me go. Pedro Pascal wins the uh, like wins the award this year for great father and terrible father. <laughs> I mean, I think that Pedro Pascal has just been typecast as like hot single dad. <laughs> and you know what? I'm, I it, I I just realized, and okay, now I've got to watch The Mandalorian. Now I've forgotten that he's in The Mandalorian. Um, and The Mandalorian. So now I've got to watch it because I liked him in the movie a lot. Even though I don't like the way his character is written, I like his performance. I like his charisma. He's in um, 
Kingsman, the Golden Circle, too, and I liked yes. him in that movie too. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm down for more Pedro Pascal. Um, what did we think of Kristen Wiig as uh, Barbara? Okay, I thought I was she was about underused, to get into that. big time. Um, yeah, I thought she was same here. I thought um, I was telling Corinne about this. I'm, I'm kind of I'm getting tired of the trope, like uh, which is um, uh, Michelle Pfeiffer, crazy hair, glasses, uh, nerd, Fox, crazy hair, glasses, <laughs> nerd, uh, Jim Carrey, crazy hair, glasses. It's like. A nerd. I'm like, oh. But, did, you uh, did you mention Jamie Foxx in Amazing Spider-Man 2 as well? Yeah, Jamie Foxx, crazy hair, glasses. It's like, okay, that's... Um, but she was underused. I, I wanted more because mm-hmm. in the comics, Cheetah is Wonder Woman's arch nemesis. She has the mm-hmm. same level of importance as a Lex Luthor or the Joker. And just... I mean, I kept thinking of that scene in, in Justice League Doom, the animated movie, where... Yeah. Like the contingency plan for Wonder Woman is that they give her a drug so that she hallucinates seeing Cheetah everywhere. And she basically fights until she is exhausted because she cannot let Cheetah escape from her. Yeah, Jerry's right. This is her arch nemesis. And I wanted more interaction between them. She's barely an antagonist in this. Like, like her beef isn't even with Wonder Woman. It's that she, you know, just wants to keep her powers. Yeah. She doesn't want the soul stone to go away. She she's relegated far too off to the side. I was under the impression by all the trailers that we were getting that Cheetah was our villain and to have it be Maxwell Lord feels kinda Yeah, I so my two changes that I would make to her character is number one, I think Cheetah sh- or I think Barbara should be younger. I Kristen Wiig is 47, and she looks great. I don't know how old her character is supposed to be, but even if she's, like, 35 or something, I think she's a little too old to still be, like, this... A a woman who is so accomplished and so well-read, and she's, like, a doctorate and everything, and she's still so completely insecure and just, like, not put together. And, I mean, maybe there are people like that out there in the world, but I have yet to meet any of them. Find me an insecure PhD. I mean, something. She should also, like, already be friends with her. Yeah, that's... They don't just meet in the movie, and then there's, like, no, like, strong connection between them. It it just feels, like, hollow. Like, oh, she's just there because we added her to the movie. Exactly. That was my other suggestion, is, like, make her, like, she's like young, like she's maybe early twenties. She's just gotten her PhDs. Like she was a genius all through school and she was like advanced for her age. And so that's why she got her doctorate so young. And now she's out in the field for the first time. And she's just like trying to to navigate this world um, and all these like high expectations for her. And of course, then she befriends Diana and they have this close friendship. And that's the thing is like Wonder Woman is a feminist icon. She always will be. And I like Steve Trevor, I guess, but I just wanted, I want to see a Wonder Woman who has these really strong relationships with the women in her life, but be it her, her mother and her aunt, or be it female friends or female Justice League members or whatever it is. I want to see, you know, a, a woman who supports other women. And so much of this movie is her and Steve. And that's fine. But I just, we already yeah, saw I that wanted, last time. yeah, 
Um, I, also, I, like, they don't mention her mom. She doesn't mention her mom or her aunt or Themyscira at all. And it's like, she sh- shouldn't she miss her mother? Shouldn't she miss all of her sisters? It's just so baffling to me that well, she just they, she's in love and hung up on this guy that she knew for like a month, 70 years ago. <laughs> and she doesn't mention her own fucking mother at all in this whole movie. Someone else pointed out that like she's this goddess and she's complaining by the end of the movie like when's it gonna like when do I get something great? It's like you are <laughs> invincible. Like you've already won the lottery. Like Steve should not be this thing that you're hung up on. Also too like with the barber thing, like why not have the like like I said they've already been friends for years. Like this movie could be jumping in where Barbara is like ready to snap because she's constantly getting passed over for like um diana like everything just comes easy for diana because she's pretty like that could have been like her thing of like i'm tired of like we're friends but like you always get like everything i know they kind of say that in the movie this a little bit but like if they'd already established that they had a long-term relationship ahead of this it would have been like more impactful and also and to be fair this movie does portray diana to be a little bit of a loner because she she is immortal and she maybe doesn't want to make those connections with those close connections with people because she knows she's just going to lose them again. So I would have wanted to see her like her first real friendship other than um, Eddie or Hattie or whatever from the last movie. I would want to see her. Yeah. I would want to see her befriend Barbara and then their friendship is, you know, tested because Barbara becomes cheetah somehow but Diana still makes the choice of like, no, I'm not going to give up. Like I've, you know, I found this connection with people and despite everything that's happened, I'm going to decide to, you know, not shut myself off from the world again. This movie, um, I felt like there was a, like a thing that I kept thinking about throughout those moments of Diana alone reflecting. I'm like, this movie's trying really hard to hit the beats of Winter Soldier and Civil War, where Steve Rogers is, you know, pining for that past he can't touch again, but, you know, living in the now. And I feel like they don't, I feel like there's not enough. If they're, if you're going to go down that road, I need a little bit more well-rounded script-wise breakdown of how she's feeling about it because i feel like i i don't feel like i got a lot of her frustration with it apart from the scenes involving steve trevor and again as you were alluding to i want more mentions of her life on themiscira because you know it seems like it's a pretty important part of her life and her upbringing and everything and etc and i i liked those elements of the first film as well and so yeah there was i don't know but she, but she, but there's a lot of hope in this movie, guys, and I, and I, 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 I admire that. Yeah, this movie has a really hopeful outlook on people, and it's like considering everything that's happened this year, and admittedly, we've seen a lot of displays of unselfishness and compassion, but we've also seen a lot of people be hella selfish and refuse to do the right thing just because they don't feel like doing it, and. I'm like, wow, so every single person renounced their wish. Holy shit. <laughs> that would never happen today. The optimism oozes out of this movie in a way that I have, like, it, it does, like, Brad's right, it has that Donner feel at times. 
And there's a lot of that Donner feel within that optimism in there. Like the first Superman movie was a good like mental callback as the thing was unfolding. Um, there was even that guy in the store who wished that woman dead. And then like, as he was like, everything's going down and he's like struggling to renounce his wish. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, I really hope that that guy who like when they first uncovered the stone and he like held it and he's like, I wish for coffee. I really hope he renounced his wish. <laughs> yeah. There was a, I was going to say, um, the other thing in this movie that really, this is where, I mean, there are moments in the movie where I teared up just because I'm that guy. Um, but another one was Linda Carter showing up in the movie that, um, that, that was big because the Wonder Woman 60s uh, uh, in the TV show was a movie that me and my mom watched. And so I grew up with Linda Carter as Wonder Woman. And to finally get to see her in the movie was just like, I just was like, I wish she had more to do in the movie. But you know what? I, fuck it. I'll take it. I mean, it was just <laughs> so great. And to just and. And they yeah. even described her as like like their greatest warrior, their most honored warrior. And yeah. you know, we see that end credit scene where she's out and about in the world, and it's like we could potentially get a Wonder Woman three with Linda Carter <laughs> on they, screen yeah. with well, not as Wonder Woman, but with Wonder Woman as like another Amazon fighter, like their legendary warrior. That would be amazing. It 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 would it would. I want it. Yeah. And I want Cersei to be the villain for the third one. Give it to me. Um, but on a, on a funnier note, it did dawn on me as I was watching that third act fight. This is like a weird episode of Looney Tunes. So <laughs> I was like sitting there going like, huh, okay. I'll let Zach explain it. The, are we talking about the cheetah fight? <laughs> Yeah, I was like, man, this feels like Sylvester versus Tweety or something. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> I thought I taught Cheetah Cat. <laughs> I, I thought that. I was just like, oh, well, this is – all right, I'm laughing. But... Yeah, and they and they get into some – you know, it, because it's on that military base and they're fighting back and forth and she's got – now she doesn't have the wings and now it's just the gold armor and whatnot. It yeah. is like watching a cartoon fight. I, I, you know what, Kevin Smith te- uh, tweeted about it, and actually it's very it's very uh, astute. Is like, this is like watching a Saturday morning cartoon come to life. Yeah. And yeah, I agree. For better or for worse. And, and yeah. That, and and to be fair, I also like the fact that they changed e- uh, Cheetah's origin story, because as far as I remember, it was kind of like a, um, oh, what, the Green Goblin from the first... Spider-Man movie where it's like he experimented on himself because he couldn't get the funding to experiment on real people. So, how dare I? So like that's how she becomes like. There is no bashing of Spider-Man in this fucking podcast. <laughs> Nobody was bashing it. Jeez, right? <laughs> I just want to see Kristen Wiig say, "How dare I?" <laughs> Back to formula, and she just shoves a guy into a bunch of scientific equipment. Yeah. But yeah, making her um, powers tied in a sense to Diana and every like that dynamic was actually really cool. And I wanted to see more of that. And I thought that Kristen Wiig's performance was really good. I was a little nervous that when she got cast as Cheetah, and I'm like, really? Cheetah? Like, are we talking about the same character here? But no, she did a great job. 
Um, is she alive at the end of this? I couldn't tell. She is. Yeah, okay. she is. Okay. Did she renounce her wish? She didn't. No. Nope. Somebody's the cheetah forever's. And well, I don't think she looked like a cheetah at the end, though. No, but she I... probably still has the powers, though. Yeah, she was. Re- um, she was regressing back to her previous form, I think, which was, um, I think, in that fight scene in the um... White House. Yeah, in the White House. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, it didn't say whether or not, but I just she didn't say that she renounced her wish. So which means she has to go find the MacGuffin Stone again in order to fully become the Cheetah Woman. Yeah, which <laughs> yeah, that's uh, Zach's. Alfred Hitchcock, Jerry. Yeah, I'm sorry. I just, <laughs> when you said MacGuffin, you opened that door. You all knew what you were doing. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I mean, if we could get her in the third one somehow and have her be more prominent, that'd be cool. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, this is a movie that I'm going to watch again and again and it's also definitely something I'm going to share with my nieces because oh, yeah. um, a lot of these superheroes, I mean, I'm, I'm glad that I get to enjoy it, but my niece is not going to watch Avengers Endgame. She's just not going to, you know, she doesn't have the, that it doesn't speak to her. Even Captain Marvel, there's a, it's just not, but this one, I think it's one of those where, you know, it's light, it's fun. Yeah, there's a lot of plot holes that are, you know, problematic to the story, but you know, you feel good at the end of it. It's bright, it's colorful, there's, you know, so. Yeah. Right on. Um, Jerry, before we get out of here, you want to remind people where we can find you on Facebook, on Instagram? Yeah, um, you guys can find me on Facebook at uh, facebook.com slash the art of Jerry M. Instagram, same thing, the Art of Jerry M. And you can find me on YouTube at Artogem at youtube.com slash Artogem. Thank you so much for coming back on, Jerry. We appreciate it. It's great hearing from you and seeing you via Zoom. Thank you. Um, next week on Real Nerds, we're doing our annual film explosion episode 2020. Yay. So <laughs> if, if you have uh, favorite films from 2020, make sure you send them to us. Uh, we record Saturday morning. Um, yeah, I just want to say thanks to Jerry again. And until next week, bye. 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 Thank you for listening to this episode of Real Nerds Podcast. Real Nerds Podcast is a production of Nebulous Visions Multimedia. Thank you to Sparks Mandrill and Plan 9 Studios for our kick-ass theme song. Also, if you're in the Denver area and you're looking for a cool place to see movies, we see them at the Alamo Draft House in Littleton and now also in Sloan's Lake. Thank you to Colorado Coins, Cards, and Comics for supplying us with all our comic needs, especially you, Andrew. You know who you are. And a big shout-out to James's mom. I'm giving you an electronic hug that you can feel through the airwaves. Thanks for listening, and have a nice day.